Amen. Amen. What a blessing it is for us to have amazing people to lead us in worship. You know, what an incredible thing. Musicians, singers, worshipers, and all of it so that we can worship God with all of our heart and express to him something that means so much more than, than just words, so much more than just songs, but maybe even the things that we wish we could say better on our own. Thank you guys so much for, for, for leading us. Ruben and worship team is excellent and it's such an encouragement to us. My name is Chad, I'm one of the pastors here at Calvary and I'm so happy to get to share the message with you this morning. Uh, it's one of my favorite things I get to do on occasion here at Calvary. And, uh, and this morning we're gonna be looking at the, the next step in our study, the book of Acts. We're talking about this home stretch, this last section of Paul's life uh, that we hear about in Acts that tells us uh, really how he finished that third missionary journey. And we're gonna walk through his welcome home, so to speak. You know, Paul was a Pharisee. He, he grew up in, uh, in Tarsus and then lived a, lot, a long part of his life in Jerusalem. And, uh, and the world that, that, that met him when he got back to Jerusalem is very similar to the way the world is today. You know, uh, in the last 18 months or so, uh, the world has changed so much. Uh, I was telling my wife just yesterday, has anyone ever asked you if you could go back, would you? You know, you think about going back to college or, or back to those early days, maybe high school years, that kind of thing. And, uh, and, and I always, when people ask me that, I think, no way. I, I'm happy with my life. I'm just excited about where I am. I would never go back because I think about the crazy times and those silly things that you did and the emotion of dating and, yeah, I, am, I love I love my family and my, I wouldn't want to go back and try to redo any of that. But with that said, these last months are hard. And there's just kind of this heavy thing that sits over us right now. And, and your daily normal life has challenges that haven't changed. But on top of that, you've got this COVID cloud. And you wonder, when is it going to end? And, uh, and there's moments you think, what if it doesn't end? <laughs> What if there is no light in this tunnel? What if this is a new normal and you just go, oh. You know, uh, one of the impacts of this COVID thing is, is in the missionary world, if there is such a thing. And, uh, and what happened is, is a number of our missionaries got locked out of their host countries, the countries where they live and minister. Uh, things just happened where they were at and they weren't able to return. So for instance, one of them uh, just happened to be outside the country and then the country locked down because of COVID and they couldn't return to the country. So they stayed in this third place for a couple months waiting for the country to reopen. It didn't reopen, so they came back to the US to wait for the country to reopen. Well, now they've been back for almost a year. They're wondering, what am I gonna do next? What are we doing here? How's this gonna work? What about the people that we serve and lead and care for? They've been meeting with them in Zo for Zoom for a year. How are we gonna continue this? And what's the next step? Or another missionary friend that I know, they came back for a sabbatical. Their plan was to be back for six or eight months. And then they came back and they can't go back either. Everything is locked down. So they want, some agencies are reporting that up to 20% of their missionary force has been forced to come back to the, to back home and kind of wait it out. So I don't know if that's normative across the whole thing, but if it were, you could imagine the impact that that's having uh, on the world of 20% less missionaries on the field because of the, the, the virus. Well, those missionaries, when they come back, have to deal with some very interesting things. You know, if you live overseas, you live in a foreign environment, you become accustomed to that environment. When you go to the field, they call it culture shock, right? <clears throat> 
you get there and the way that the world operates over there is so different that it's hard to get used to. Well, a lot of people expect that. They, they, it's one of the things they train you on in your missionary training is, is how to deal with culture shock, how to walk through all of the crazy changes when you get to the field. Um, but then what happens is people have this idea that when they come home, things are gonna be normal. Well, what happens often is they come home and they're not normal. They actually call it reverse culture shock. Reverse culture shock is when they come back to the culture that they originated in and the culture no longer fits them. Oftentimes, the first response is that this is crazy. Everything has changed and there's an anger at the world around them, maybe even the way their family interacts with them or their friends who've moved on in the 15 years since they left, you know, whatever might be happening. But then what, what, what becomes really obvious is it's not just the people have moved on, the people have changed, but the person himself, the missionary himself, has changed dramatically. And so what they expected to come home to feels very foreign. And I think that's what we're going to see today in Paul's life. We're going to read through this, uh, this message, uh, this, 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 these verses in Acts chapter 21, starting in verse 27 through 36. And, uh, and what we're going to see here is Paul's really re revisit to Jerusalem and, uh, and how Jerusalem responds to him. So remember last week, uh, Pastor Julio introduced this because Paul took on uh, the, the, uh, some purification rites at the temple. He paid for some other guys to do it. And it was a seven-day process where, where he could really dedicate himself in worship. And he did it in a public way so that the, the, the people of Jerusalem could see that Paul is serious about following God in the manner that they expected. Well, Here's how it responds. So we're going to start in verse 27. It says, When the seven days were nearly over, some Jews from the province of Asia saw Paul at the temple. They stirred up the crowd and seized him, shouting, Fellow Israelites, help us! This man who teaches everyone everywhere against our people and our law and this place, and besides, he has brought Greeks into the temple and defiled this holy place. They had previously seen Trophimus the Ephesian in the city with Paul and assumed that Paul had brought him into the temple. The whole city was aroused, and the people come running, came running from all directions. Seizing Paul, they dragged him from the temple, and immediately the gates were shut. While they were trying to kill him, news reached the commander of the Roman troops that the whole city of Jerusalem was in an uproar. He at once took some officers and soldiers and ran down to the crowd. When the rioters saw the commander and his soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. The commander came up and arrested him and ordered him to be bound with chains. Then he asked who he was and what he had done. Some of the crowd shouted one thing and some another. And since the commander could not get the truth because of the uproar, he ordered that Paul be taken to the barracks. When Paul reached the steps, the violence of the mob was so great, he had to be carried by the soldiers. The crowd that kept following him shouted, get rid of him. Get rid of him. So just think about this for a minute. Put yourself in Paul's position. We have seen in the last year riots on a, maybe a scale that, uh, at least in my life, was, was the first. And, uh, and even the last few weeks, riots at the Capitol. Imagine if the riot was caused because you went to the, to the place where you worship. I mean, this is nothing like the temple in Jerusalem, but it, in our context, it's kind of similar. So if you come in here to worship this morning and everyone looked at you and said, Brent, ugh, and then everyone ganged up and started beating Brent up. I mean. It's, it's a rough thing for Brent, but it's a rough thing for the church. The violence that's, that's embedded in the culture says something about the turmoil and the tension. Think about the, 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 that, that kind of violence could be unleashed on a person like Paul. What's going on there? 
There's a lot here. So what I want to do is I want to talk about maybe three things that Paul understood that maybe we should understand as well. And, uh, and I think it's going to help us because oftentimes in the fo- a follower of Jesus is going to step into a place that might feel foreign, <clears throat> even if you expect it to be familiar. The first thing I think that Paul understood that I think would be helpful for us is that the call to follow Christ is a call to come and die. When Jesus called his disciples, he calls them to follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. It's to leave behind what you were and become something new. The call to come, that one's easy, but the call to come and the call to die, the die part is hard. What does that even mean? Well, what Jesus was talking to his disciples, we'll talk about later again, but it says uh, um, each person must deny himself and pick up the cross and follow me. You know, this wasn't strange to Paul. Uh, it w- if this was the only time that Paul had suffered, it might be a different story. But if we remember, as we walk through these three missionary journeys, the Apostle Paul, he suffers in many different places in many different ways. And the first thing I can find Paul suffering is actually within days of his conversion on the road to to Damascus. Remember, there was a man named Ananias, and God spoke to Ananias and said, Ananias, I want you to go pray for this guy, Paul. He's, I I met with him, he's going to be my, and and Ananias said, God, Jesus, do you remember? (laughs) This guy's not a good guy. He's here persecuting the church. He's rejected you. And God says, and Jesus says to him, he says, go, this man is my chosen instrument. This is in Acts 9, chapter, verse 15. He's my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. All the way at the very beginning of Paul's relationship with Jesus, there's this underlining idea that he's going to suffer for Jesus' sake. Just a few verses down, it says, after many days had gone by, there was a conspiracy among the Jews. These are Paul's home people, his, his friends at this point. Remember, he was a, a Pharisee that had gone to Damascus to persecute Christians. There's a conspiracy among these people in Damascus to kill Paul. Saul learned of their plan. Day and night, they kept close watch on the gates in order to kill him. But the followers, his followers, took him by night and lowered him from a basket through a wall in the city, <clears throat> through an opening in the wall. So Paul had experienced suffering in so many ways in his 15 years of traveling and planting churches across the Roman world. But he also experienced suffering at the hands of his own people. <clears throat> It's really interesting to, to draw attention to this. Almost every place that Paul plants a church, his, his, his normal modus operandi, right? His normal uh, operational mode was to go into the, the synagogue and preach the gospel to the Jews first. And because he was a Pharisee, they opened their doors. They said, oh, this is a guy who was trained. He, he's a guy from Jerusalem. We want to hear what he has to say. So he would share with them the Old Testament scriptures about who they are and who Jesus was and how he fulfills these scriptures and invite them to have a relationship with Jesus. And some would come to faith. This happened over and over and over again as Paul planted churches. But in addition to that, there was always these God-fearing Greeks or God-fearing Romans, these these foreigners who were followers of God that attended service in in the synagogues. And often they would convert to Christianity as well. Well, the next verses, almost without question is when the other Jews, the ones that reject Jesus, also reject Paul. And in rejecting Paul, their anger turns to hatred really quick. You remember he flees Thessalonica. He flees Berea when the Thessalonican Jews come. He flees all these different places because the Jews themselves, these are Paul's countrymen, are trying to pursue him. They, they hate what he stands for. 
This call to follow Jesus is a call to, to come and die. And Paul seemed to understand that. You know, amazing in this story that Paul, that God uses all these different events to prepare Paul. <clears throat> his heart was not swayed in his mission, even when the crowd is against him. And what we find in that is that, that God has developed character in Paul that is revealed in crisis. And that's my second thing we should understand. That our character, the things that God is doing in us that's helping us grow and become like him, is revealed when things get difficult. So your character revealed in crisis is something we see here in Paul. When, when things are really hard, he does not abandon his mission. In fact, if someone were to beat you when you came to church, probably be a reason not to come to church. If someone were to beat you when you came to church, it might change the way you want to interact with the church, but it doesn't change Paul. You'll find out next week, the, just a little, a little sneak peek, is that Paul asked the leaders of the Romans to let him speak to the crowd that's trying to kill him. And he, he tells them, he shares the gospel with them because his mission is to share the gospel with these people and he wants them to find the hope and love that Jesus can give them even if they want to kill him. You think about that, it's, it's, it's a, a very difficult thing to understand. What is it that fills Paul with such passion for the Jews that even when they're trying to kill him, he wants to try to reason with them and give them hope? Do you understand there's something different about the way he's seeing himself and the way he's seeing them? than what we would see if it was on the news. Paul, Paul writes uh, when he's in Ephesus to this, the Corinthian church, it's in 2 Corinthians 11, and he talks, he's telling them about what it is that, that drives him, and he says this, he says, uh, are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they Abraham's descendants? So am I. They've got a lot in common. Are they servants of Christ? And he in parentheses says, I'm out of my mind to talk like this. He's basically, I don't know if I should be bragging, but I'm gonna anyway. He says, are they servants of Christ? I am more. I have worked harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from the Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. And besides everything else, I have faced the daily pressure of my concern for all the churches. Paul has the confidence to face this murderous crowd in Jerusalem because he has faced difficulty throughout his ministry life, throughout his call to be a follower of Jesus. This call to come and die defined Paul and it defined his character so that when he was in crisis, the character shone brightly. Lastly, I think it's really clear that the way that Paul interacts here is that he realized his home is not here. You know, he had spent years in Jerusalem studying. He had been uh, uh, excited and, and proponent of the Jewish faith. He was one that protected that truth with a lot of vigor and a lot of, 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 of passion. And now he's standing against that and he's seeing the other side of it where that same vigor and passion that Paul pursued when he was persecuting the church is now turned towards him. And this place that he once called his home is his home no longer. But think about this. 
He didn't have a home in Tarsus either. He didn't have a home in Rome. Where was Paul's home? What did he call home? Where did he call home? And I want to ask you today, where do you call home? Is it where you lay your head at night? Is it where you walk in and have the comfort of your family around you? Or is it a place where you hang out with your friends and you feel right in the center of happiness and joy and good? Is that your home? Because we found out anything in the last 18 months is that your home can change dramatically overnight. The home that Paul had was not in any place you can see with your physical eyes. There's these places, let's look. In scripture, it tells us, uh, look with me at Hebrews chapter 11, uh, verse 13. It says, all these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things they had been promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on this earth. You, you realize that we don't belong here. The things that we hope for are not going to happen in this place, in the things that we see every day. Now, verse 14 continues, says, people who say such things show that they're looking for a country not their own. If they'd been thinking of the country that they had left, they would go back there. Instead, they're longing for a better country, a heavenly one. And God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. We'll look back at what Jesus told his disciples in Matthew 16, 24. It says that he said to them, whoever wants to be my, my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. What good would it be if someone would gain the whole world and forfeit their soul? Or what can one give in exchange for their soul? Every follower of Jesus has to understand that at some point, you're gonna face rejection because of the love you have for him. And at some point, it may cost you everything. And if I'm really, really honest, I'll tell you right now that my love for this world far exceeds my love for Jesus. If I consider what it would cost me, what it would hurt me, if everything that I love was taken from me, I have a feeling I'd really struggle to hold on to Christ as being enough. What we find in this story is that Jesus is enough. He's all that Paul needs. And even with being warned, remember he was warned over and over and over again that if you go to Jerusalem, you're gonna get arrested. He went anyway. And even when the people beat him and, and wanted to kill him, <clears throat> that should be the end of it right there. At least Paul, run away. Take care of yourself. But he doesn't. He stops. He stays on the, on, the, on the steps and he starts preaching the gospel to the people that are trying to kill him. Jesus is enough. And so the question as we come to the end of this, the sermon is really simple. Where is home for you? What is it going to cost you to, to see that God is your only? You know, all of these things that we love in our lives, they're good things. I'm not saying that we shouldn't love our family, we shouldn't love the things he's given us, but they're just glimpses of the real thing. They're just shadows, using C.S. Lewis terms. They're just shadows of what's real, what's coming. True home is where we find ourselves in the center of his will, resting in his grace and content in any circumstance. Paul learned this so well throughout his experience. How do you even talk about this in today's world? How do we even imagine that everything was taken from us? 
How do we imagine what it would be like if we had to find out for sure if Jesus was our only? My prayer for you, church, is that we would see, like Paul, that all the things that we hold on to so dear are just passing away. It's, it's not going to last. And one day we're going to stand before the Creator God that loves us and wants to be our friend. And He's going to call us to Himself. And that should be what we're looking for. I think of a, a story. A few years ago, I was at a, a church service and there was some baptism happening. And uh, a young man walked into the, the baptism waters and, and he was dressed with a t-shirt. It was kind of rough. And, uh, and as they asked him questions about his faith, it became clear he was a special needs uh, a, a gentleman. And, and uh, as he responded, he responded with a lot of excitement, a little, a little over, the, over the top enthusiasm. And uh, when they finally got to the baptism, they put him under the water. When he came up, his hands went straight up in the air. And his t-shirt came up to about here, so his belly was showing. And he said, I'm home. And I just started bawling. I started crying because that's what my heart wants. We're not going to find the answers that we're looking for until that moment we stand before our Savior and the one that we love with everything that we are. We're not gonna find it here. And so in that place, we come to this idea that home is not here. We're never gonna be safe and comfortable and stable in this place. It's gonna be strangers and wanderers and aliens, like Hebrews tells us. I'm gonna invite the, the worship team to come back up and, or Cherish to come play the piano. And as we close, I'm gonna pray. And I want you to ask that question, where's your home? Where is it that you feel that God is at work in your heart where you feel safe in the grace of God and you feel content in whatever circumstance might come? People in our world have lost a lot in the last 12 months. People have lost loved ones, they've lost their jobs, they've lost their security, their stability. People are wondering if they're gonna be able to continue making payments on their houses or their rent. People have lost a lot. But we have this hope in Jesus that can overwhelm all of it. That says if he is for us, who can be against us? So I hope today that you're encouraged. I hope you're encouraged. If you're going through hard times, know that God is with you and he loves you just the way you are. And he's calling you out to be something more and put your hope in what is secure. You think about the famous quote from Jim Elliot that says, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And that's what we're seeing in this, in this story today. And honestly, it's what we're gonna see in the next several weeks as we continue to walk with Paul through his arrest, through a two-year waiting time before he gets to stand before Nero, the emperor. It's a long time where he's lost everything. His family is gone. His friends are gone. Only a few of them can be. His country has forsaken him. All he has is Jesus. And it's enough. It's enough. Where is your home today? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you. We thank you that you've called us your own. And that even in the midst of our own brokenness and our own uh, our sin, God, the times when we turn away from you daily, that you still love us. That, God, you call us out. You call us to be yours. You call us to be your people. We pray, God, that you would be our God, 
that it would be reflected in the way that we live and the way that we love and the way that we care about the people around us. We pray, God, that you would be glorified in our lives and our behavior. Lord, help us to remember that with you, nothing can be against us. We thank you so much for your work. We pray that you would continue to move inside of us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.